lot. You got the right station. Don't freak out. This is the Faith Debate on 930 WFMD. That's new music. You're not losing your mind. We've changed the music on the show. And I'm going to explain why here in just a second. I'm Troy Skinner. Thanks so much for following along all these years on the Faith Debate. You can find us online at WFMD.com. Keyword Faith will get you there or find the drop-down menu for the online lineup and find the Faith Debate that way. Uh, there you'll find um, easy links to previous shows, the podcast, and you'll find a rundown of the, uh, the shows that are coming up. Uh, in, in the next week or two, you can kind of get a TV guide version of the radio guide and see what, what's going to be talked about, what the topics are. So what are we doing now? Why are we changing the music? We started, it's almost exactly 17 years ago, we, uh, with the Faith Debate Show. And I'm going to take a few minutes here to explain to you the history of the show and where we've gotten to now and explain why we're making a change that we are uh, in the process right now of unveiling to you. So... It was, it was the early part of 2004, and I was working at WFMD and sister station WFRE, part of the sales team. And uh, there were a couple of people on the sales team that were very open and vocal about their, their Christian faith. And so it led to a lot of conversations. We actually would get together when things were difficult in somebody's, you know, life or their job happening. We would pray, that sort of thing. And this led to, you know, we should get together and do like, you know, a Bible study. So we started a workplace Bible study. But we wanted it to be you know, open and comfortable for everybody to come to the Bible study, not just Christians. And so we thought, if we call it a Bible study, some people might not be comfortable coming to that. So we called it a book study. And we got a Christian book to be the content and we and it and the fodder for discussion and it actually was pretty popular surprisingly popular at one point we had about 12 people that were involved and they were of various stripes and flavors um there was a um well somebody would would have identified as Jewish but they weren't religious uh, there was somebody who was kind of a antagonistic, uh, atheist, agnostic type person who wanted to just be there to poke holes, I guess. Uh, had uh, had a Pentecostal, a Baptist, uh, a Presbyterian. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think about all sorts of different kinds of people in the mix. It was really cool. And we were meeting at the radio station. And one of the managers who was at the station at the time, isn't at the stations now, uh, had some concern about this taking place on company property. Didn't have a problem at first, but I guess when it became popular, all of a sudden it became a problem. Because I don't know if people know how many people work at the radio station, but at the time, I don't know, there might have been 30 full-time people at the radio station, and like 12 of them were participating in this. <laughs> it's a pretty high percentage. And they're like, hey, wait a minute. Uh, should we really be encouraging this? Because obviously the person either wasn't a believer at the time or, I don't know, was concerned about a lawsuit. Who knows what they were concerned about? So we could continue to do it, of course, obviously, but not at the station. So we had to find some other place to do the show or do the, uh, the, the conversation, the, the, the weekly group gathering. And immediately we started to feel the attrition you know, first week, actually, attendance was very good. Might have been about the same as normal. Within a couple of weeks, we were down to like nine or ten. A few weeks after that, we were down to, you know, six or seven. After a couple more months, we were down to like three or four. It got to the point where we had one last meeting where we all had to be honest with ourselves. We were down to three of us. 
was like, okay, this is not really doing what we wanted to do. We could continue to do it for the three of us, but maybe we should just figure out a strategy for ending this. So we did that. We, we figured out how to navigate to an end point and wrapped it up like three weeks later. Well, as a courtesy, I went to the then general manager. We've been through a few since then and said to him as a courtesy, like, hey, you know, you know, we've been doing this thing. We've taken it off site. We do it in the morning. Uh, it was Wednesdays, if I remember correctly, Wednesdays at 630 uh, uh, at a local diner. But, you know, this coming week's going to be our last week. We're going to be all done with, with doing that. And, and you know, it's too bad it, it didn't last uh, longer, but it was fun while it lasted kind of thing. And he said, oh, yeah, that is too bad. So I don't even know why exactly I said this, but the words that came out of my mouth was, yeah, it's, it's, it's too bad because what was cool about it was the wide variety of views. You know, it wasn't any one thing being pounded. It was a really interesting dialogue back and forth. That'd be a fun thing to do on the radio someday. And he said, yeah, it would be. Now, he probably was yesing me to death, to be honest. <laughs> so, but me being who I am, I saw an opportunity. So I said, do you mean it? And I swear my memory of it is that is like he awoke from a stupor at that point. You know, he's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a good idea. Really, you mean it? And he's like, uh, what? <laughs> what do I mean? <laughs> Doing the show on the radio, you think I could do it? And he said, well, yeah, I mean, I think that'd be fine as long as it's like what you're talking about, your discussion group, all different viewpoints are represented and you're all being honest with each other. That sounds, sounds interesting to me. I said, great, so can I do it? And he wanted to punt to the program director and he said, well, if the program director says it's okay, that's okay. That's fine. It's up to him. And I felt in my gut that what was going to happen, that as soon as I left his office, that he was going to make a phone call to the program director (laughs) and say, Troy's coming to find you. And when he comes, tell him no. Tell him we got to think about it. Whatever. Buy time. We don't want to do this. I, I felt like that could, could happen. But I knew the habits of this program director. I knew where I could find him. So as soon as I left the GM's office, I went straight to where I was positive I would find the program director. And sure enough, he was there. So I said, hey, just got done talking to the GM. He says I can do a show if you're okay with it. So you position it like that. He's like, oh, the GM already said yes. Well, I don't want to be the jerk and say no. So he's like, uh, yeah, I guess that's fine. And uh, I said, so can I start this week? Because I'm thinking this door could slam shut if I don't get it going. So I'm, I'm striking. Now, this is like a, I don't know, it was like a Tuesday or a Thursday. It was like mid, midweek kind of a thing. I was like, can I be on the air this week, like this coming Sunday? <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, I, theoretically, but where would, we put, where would we place the show? Like what time slot? Well, before I came to work here, once upon a time, I was the program director myself of a radio station, a couple of radio stations up in Syracuse, New York. And one of them on Sunday mornings, when I uh, took over those responsibilities, I inherited this program. It was on Sunday mornings, just like it was here at WFMD. And it was a CD of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. And the uh, Church of Latter-day Saints would mail this to radio stations, knowing that a lot of stations might just have filler they needed to fill on the weekends, and they might want to have some religious programming on Sunday morning, and they would just run it as like a PSA, a public service announcement kind of a thing, a half-hour-long public service announcement. They weren't paying for it. The station was making no money selling sponsors for it. It was just – there was no contract for it. 
They send you the CD, you run it. You don't want to run it, you don't. You, you throw the CD in the garbage, whatever. No, no harm, no foul. So I, so I knew that to be true about that show that we were running at the time at 6 o'clock in the morning on Sundays on WFMD. So I said, what about the Morbin Tabernacle Choir show? So that's not local content. We'll be doing local content. You know, and it's, it's not really sponsorable. What we're doing could be sponsored. You know, there's a lot of benefits to doing what we're doing. And, and uh, he said, well, I guess. Uh, great. I'm going to put together a show. And we'll start this Sunday. And I kind of did the assumptive close to use some sales lingo. And uh, so at the time, uh, I was, had become pretty good friends with Jonathan Schweitzer, who back then was the pastor of Crossroads Valley Chapel. It was called at the time. He changed it to Crossroads Valley Church years later. And uh, I was participating in a men's group that met at his home uh, on weeknights uh, once a week. And we used to joke about how the conversations we would have, they would go on. The, the, the official men's meeting you know, would be like an hour and a half, and then it would end, and then John and I would just continue arguing about theology for hours. And my wife would be calling his house at like 2 o'clock in the morning, is he ever coming home? Would you send him home, please? And I would joke, and he would joke. I said, this would be fun to do on the radio someday. So he was the first person I thought of. So I pick up the phone, I call John, and say, John, guess what? You know that joke we've had for like the longest time? He said, yeah, we're doing it. We need to put together a panel like immediately. And I wasn't a pastor at the time, so I didn't have the kind of connections that he had. He was part of the Evangelical Ministerial Association and all that. He went on to be the president of the association a few years later. So he was pretty connected, knew a lot of people. So he made some phone calls, and he was able to throw together a panel in less than a day. And we recorded, like, that Thursday night and went air, like, you know, what, three days later, two and a half days later, we were on the air with that first recording session. And I'll never forget that very first recording session that John pulled together. It was, um, it was the president of the Islamic Society, uh, Frederick, and uh, one of the Jewish rabbis in town. And we talked about issues that are going that at the time were in the news in the Middle East. And boy, we learned some lessons there. So one of the things I learned is um, the I was so naive. The kinds of things that we talk about on this show and have talked about over the years on this show are so ripe for controversy and for disagreement that if you're not careful to manage the relationships going into the recording session, you can really be set up for some some real problems. Uh, And sure enough, uh, they were very angry with one another during the shows. I remember that. And when it was all when the evening was and we we recorded uh, we only recorded the one show. And that's something that I learned, too, is it takes a lot of work to put together the panel and prepare for the topics and stuff. And the show's only less than a half hour long, and boom, it's over. <laughs> You're moving on to something else. And I was like, there's so much more to be said. So one of the things we learned was that from that point forward, we we're going to do more than one show. And our habit became to record two shows at the same time. And then, then that evolved to the point where now we record four or five shows in one sitting. Um, and so you listener on the radio, um, whatever you hear next week was recorded immediately after what you're hearing this week, you know, in the immediate moments after. It plays out over a month on the radio, but it took place in one, one evening at the radio station. So I learned to do more shows, and I also learned how to manage those situations because he said, oh, there's so much more to be said. Would you guys be willing to come back on? And neither one would come back on. Well, I'm not coming back on. I don't want to ever talk to this guy again. They were <laughs> like, wow. So my naivete went away. So... Um, when the show first started, probably the first, I don't know, half a dozen years, 
the way I handled the show was I was the I tried to be the neutral moderator. I was the interviewer asking questions. I was trying to stir the pot, trying to make sure everybody had a, an equal, balanced opportunity to share their perspective, um, and didn't voice an opinion myself. Tried to play it like a newsman kind of a thing. And over time, and I want to say it was probably five or six years in, it started to feel inauthentic to me because at the time I was a seminary student and I was learning a heck of a lot more about stuff than I knew before. And I was having some pretty well-formulated thoughts and I was having to swallow them and not put them on the air. And I was like, I I just, I don't feel like I, I can do that anymore. I can't pretend I don't have an opinion when I do. So it shifted at that point and I started to become still the moderator and interviewer, but an interviewer with an opinion, kind of like what we're used to now in the cable news shows. The news talking head shows are really opinion shows. Like So the, our show kind of evolved into that direction. And that was interesting. Early on in the show, probably the first eight years, we had a way easier time getting uh, liberal guests Theologically liberal is what I'm talking about, although politically liberal and theologically liberal oftentimes go together, but not necessarily. Uh, So theologically liberal people would come on because we struck them as uh, John and I. John was always on the show with me. We struck them as non-threatening. Oh, those guys are harmless. Yeah, I'll come on and talk stuff with them. No problem. And we couldn't get conservative guests to come on very readily. We got some, obviously, but we couldn't get them on to come on very regularly because they didn't trust where we were coming from. They didn't trust who we were. I think they might have assumed that we were liberal <laughs> and we were going to set them up or something and, and try to make them look bad and or something or that you know we were going to be throwing chairs like the Jerry Springer show or something. I'm not sure, but we had a hard time getting uh, those – well – as we got better at doing the show, as I started to then voice my opinion, not just ask questions, as Jonathan Schweitzer started to feel his oats a little bit more and be a, a little more forthright in some of his interactions with the guests, uh, those liberal guests didn't want to come on anymore. Well, by that point, though, we had proven ourselves to a certain segment of the conservative uh, guests out there, and we had a pretty long run of a lot of conservative guests with some liberal guests mixed in, but overwhelmingly conservative guests. And that lasted for quite a number of years. Then Jonathan, uh, things changed with him and his church and that. And so he stopped doing the show and I had somebody else partner with me on the show, a pastor from down in Montgomery County. That lasted less than a year. It was a bad fit. Um, We were at odds with the direction the show should take. Um, He was more focused on the show being relevant and uh, and he was pushing and advocating for a, like a, a progressive agenda, theologically a progressive agenda. And that's not who I am, where I am, and what the, sh- the show wasn't going to have an agenda like that. And so we just couldn't see eye to eye, and so that, that failed. So then I had the show for my, by myself for a while, and I would put together panels uh, as one-offs, and so it was me plus two guests that I had to schedule every time or sometimes three guests in the room at the same time. Um, and that got to be pretty hard because, again, like I mentioned before, John Schweitzer had all these connections that I didn't have. So I'm having to work really, really hard to schedule the guests, and I just couldn't sustain it. So then actually, fortunately, Jonathan Schweitzer agreed to get back involved, and he started doing the show again with me for a little while. Uh, and then John couldn't do it again. Uh, so then I started incorporating some telephone guests, um, which got away from what the spirit of the show is supposed to be. It was supposed to be talking about, you know, faith issues as they're happening in the Frederick area. And you start talking to somebody in Seattle, Washington, 
they they couldn't be more removed from from Frederick, Maryland kind of thing. And so that wasn't exactly what I wanted to be doing. Then COVID happened. And then the rules were such that we really weren't allowed to have guests come to the radio station. So it's like, how do I do a panel discussion show without panelists? So I have a lot of, I've got an audio file. I save a lot of my audio and stuff that I do with church or with radio or with life. And so I was actually able to take a whole bunch of audio that uh, had never been part of the airwaves on WFMD, never part of the faith debate show, but had been used in other venues. And I was able to piece together and edit different things and, and put together shows that had fresh content that weren't really debate oriented, weren't panel discussion oriented, but they were talking about issues and topics and things that were relevant, but it was very kind of different. And that's what we've done for goodness gracious, many months now. I'm not sure exactly when that started, six months, nine months ago, something like probably nine months ago. And so during that time, I've had a chance to really take stock of what's going on in the culture, what's happening within the church. It's my opinion. I know we have recency bias, all of us do, in a lot of areas of our life. And so I want to be on guard against that. However, I feel like I've accounted for that. And even after having accounted for that, I feel like we... Uh, have the challenge and the privilege of living through one of the most significant crisis periods in church history. Assuming that Christ doesn't return uh, before then, 500 years from now, they will be talking about what's happening now in church history as one of the big moments in church history. This is, if they had church councils anymore, they'd be having one right now. I think this is a I think we're in one of those moments and I'm finding that the sand has slipped from under my feet in a lot of ways. There's a lot of people that I've had great respect for for a lot of years, a lot of people that I actually still do have respect for, uh, just not in the same ways or in the same areas that I used to. And I can't trust them anymore. Now, and I'm going to let we have we have panelists here, by the way. I'm going to welcome them on to the show in a second. But you're going to be hearing a lot of them talking uh, the next few weeks. And so I'm trying to set the stage here. I'm not trusting um, Tim Keller anymore. I'm not trusting the articles I read from the Gospel Coalition anymore. I'm not saying that everything that Tim Keller does or the Gospel Coalition has out there. I'm just using them as two examples. Uh, is necessarily bad, but I don't automatically give them the benefit of the doubt. They have lost the right to have that trust from me anymore. There's too much stuff that's out there from these formerly trusted sources. And so part of it makes me wonder, wow, okay, have they changed or have I changed? Like, have I noticed, have these weaknesses in their game been there the whole time and I didn't notice it and I was naive? Or have they shifted because of cultural and political and societal and even inside the church pressures uh, where they're not really squared with Scripture on, on some important issues anymore? And so uh, I'm a voracious consumer of media, have been my whole life. It's why I got into the radio business. Uh, I was one of those geeky kids growing up. I was eight years old listening to talk radio. <laughs> You know, when I was a teenager and all my friends were listening to Top 40 Radio, I was listening to talk radio. Um, and so I've always been an information junkie and consuming a lot of stuff. And and, I, and I, I have always kind of been a sampler platter kind of guy. Like, I don't watch any of the cable news channels anymore. I, don't, I haven't watched a single cable, like MSNBC, CNN, Fox, 
you know, Newsmax. I haven't watched a single show from any of those networks since March of 2020. And I can remember the moment I decided I was done. And I won't bore you with that right now, but it's been that long. It's been over a year. But when I did watch those channels, I would sample them all. I'd be bouncing. I'd see, okay, what's, you know, what's Tucker Carlson got going on? What's he leading his, his show with today? Okay, I see what he's, what he's going to do. I know what the tenor of his show is going to be today. Boom, let's go to Rachel Maddow. What's Rachel doing? Okay, now I see what, what Rachel uh, and, and her uh, sycophants are, uh, <laughs> are, are all about today. Let me jump to CNN and uh, I don't know who it would have been, uh, Anderson Cooper or Don Lemon or whoever. What are they doing? And then I'd bounce back to Tucker. And then, I'd, and then later on, I'd be listening to some Sean Handy. And, I, and I'd be bouncing. I was a sampler player trying to get a full view of what everybody – and throwing into that mix ABC and CBS and those sorts of things. Um, now they're all one and the same almost. And so I don't need to waste my time uh, sampler platting or like that. And then a lot of the podcasts that I listen to and a lot of the radio shows I enjoy, um, I don't know that I can trust where they're coming from. I don't know that their core principles are in alignment with mine. And not that they need to be in alignment with mine, but I hope that mine, as a Christian pastor, are in alignment with the Bible. And so I want somebody whose core principles are in alignment with the Bible. And I need to feel like I can trust that. And so I'm, I've I spent time over this past year. COVID gave me a great opportunity to do that. I spent a lot of time uh, searching for trusted resources, finding YouTube channels, finding uh, blog uh, sites, uh, finding radio shows or TV shows that maybe I hadn't spent a lot of time with in the past and actually investing a significant amount of time paying attention to what they were doing consistently for a number of weeks on end to see where they are coming from. And then feel like, okay, I like where this person's coming from. I can trust this person. And so I'm curating things differently. And so I'm not sampling as much. I'm spending just as much time, if not more, in media. But I'm not sampling as many options, but I'm going way deeper with the resources that I'm finding that I can trust. And I'm feeling like, well, if that's true for me, maybe that's true for other people too. And so that's why we're making the change on the Faith Debate Show that we're making. We are putting together or have put together a panel where it's going to be four of us. And sometimes maybe only three of us will be able to make our schedules work. And, it, you know, it'll only be three of us or hopefully on the rarest of occasions, two of us. Hopefully it'll at least always be at least three of us. But uh, on, a, on a good week, it's going to be four of us. And we're going to be somebody that over time you're going to know where we're coming from, why we're coming from there, that you can see how we honestly interact with each other and with the scriptures. Uh, so that you're going to understand uh, what an alternative view to the overwhelmingly mainstream narrative is, even from the so-called conservative outlets. Uh, what they call the Overton window has shifted so dramatically that what passes for conservative now would have been counted as a progressive idea 20 years ago. And so we, I just want to give the audience a resource that's doing something different. And if you are a progressive-minded person, at least you're going to know what those who disagree with you think and why. So this can be a good research um, venue for you. Not that we're going to persuade you, although I would hope to, but uh, at least because I do that. I, I, for, every, uh, for every three or four books I read that I anticipate I'm going to agree with, I read a book that I anticipate I won't agree with. I want to know what the other side, what other people are thinking. I want, it sharpens my own arguments. It helps me anticipate arguments when I get into dialogue with somebody. I'm not hearing something for the very first time. Oh, I've heard that argument before, and I've had time to think about it because I read a book about that last year. 
Um, and so this can be a show like that for you if you're, you know, one of the Kai Hagans of the world, for example. You know, you're, this show is not going to be your ideological touchstone. I get that. Uh, and if you're confused, you're not sure what to believe, what the church teaches and, and, and stands for anymore, um, you know, this show can be um, can be a, an encouragement and an aid to you for that as well. So this was one long monologue from me. Next week, uh, I'm not sure who's going to go first. You're going to hear from either um, uh, Imran Raz, Raz V. I'm not sure if you want to go by Imran or Raz these days. But uh, you're going to hear from one of them. You're going to hear from him. You can say hello if you want to know you're here. Hello, this is Imran Razvi, but I go by Raz. It's easy to remember, and I'll be speaking probably later. And uh, and Daniel and uh, his, his son and uh, and uh, David Forsey, you guys are going to be uh, talking, sharing your story, getting a sense. We'll be doing that starting next week here on the Faith Debate. So thanks for listening to me drone on this week. We're going to have some fun stories. Uh, uh, and when you.